In the mythology of ancient Greece, there's a story that presents a conundrum. In fact, it's a, a famous paradox that has challenged Western philosophers over the centuries and been addressed by the likes of Plutarch and Heraclitus and Thomas Hobbes. Uh, you may have, have heard of it. It's the story of the ship of Theseus. Uh, Theseus was a mythological figure in ancient Greece. He was a young prince in Athens who wanted to prove his worthiness to someday and uh, succeed his father to the throne. And so the story goes that he set sail for Greece, uh, a kingdom that was a nemesis of the, Athen of the Athenians. Athens had been paying an annual tribute to Crete, and Theseus sought to end it uh, as a way of proving his mettle. So, according to the story, Theseus arrived in Crete, and he agreed to the challenge of facing the dreaded Minotaur uh, in the labyrinth of King Minos. Uh, with the aid of King Minos's daughter Ariadne, Theseus killed the Minotaur uh, and broke Crete's hold over Athens. But as he sailed for home, there was a miscommunication with Theseus's father, and uh, the king thought that his son had been killed in Crete. In the style of a, of a true Greek tragedy, in, in his distress and grief, the king of Athens, Theseus' father, uh, threw himself into the sea, and Theseus reluctantly ascended uh, his, to his father's throne. <clears throat> now, to commemorate Theseus' great victory over Crete and to memorialize the tragedy of the king's death, the ship of Theseus uh, was displayed in a museum in Athens, but over time, as you would expect, uh, the wood of the ship began to rot. Centuries later, during the time of the early church in 75 AD, the Greek philosopher Plutarch wrote this, the ship wherein Theseus returned from Crete was preserved by the Athenians for many centuries. They took away the old planks as they decayed, putting in new and stronger timber in their places insomuch that this ship became a standing example among the philosophers, one side holding that the ship remained the same and the other contending that it was not the same. This philosophical conundrum, which came to be known as Theseus's paradox, asks the question, how much, how much change makes a thing no longer the original thing? As the, the ship of Theseus is renewed, plank after plank, if 100% of the planks have been replaced, is it still the ship of Theseus? Um, if it's no longer the ship of Theseus, then at what point did it become not the ship of Theseus? And if it is still the ship of Theseus, then can that really be true since Theseus himself never touched a single plank of the renewed ship that still bears his name? How much change... Uh, makes a thing no longer that original thing. It's a, a philosophical question of identity over which philosophers has been, have been puzzling for 2,000 years or more. And if we expand this to describe institutions like schools or colleges or companies or churches, uh, the same fundamental question of identity remains. If a church is essentially unrecognizable today, um, at least from all outward appearances, from the church at its beginning, is it still the same church? This is the second Sunday of our three-week 50th anniversary 
sermon series yesterday, today, forever. Uh, last week we talked about yesterday, looking back on uh, our first 50 years as a community of faith. We talked about how where we've been provides the foundation for where we're going. This week uh, we're talking about where we are today. And our scripture uh, will be one of the recommended lectionary texts for this season. It's a text that was actually written 20 years before Plutarch wrote about Theseus's paradox. So I'm going to read the first two verses now. This is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. Uh, We'll come back and read the rest a bit later. Listen, friends, for the word of God, as it is proclaimed by God's servant, the Apostle Paul. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So it is not an exaggeration to say that the apostle Paul taught the church how to be the church. Uh, the four Gospels are all about Jesus, of course, about his, his birth, his ministry, his miracles, his teachings, his death, his resurrection. They, they tell us about the transformed and abundant and eternal life that we are offered in Christ. They inform us about our, um, our personal relationship with Christ. They help shape that relationship. And so, obviously, uh, we spend a lot of time reading the Gospels and allowing the Gospels to shape us along our spiritual journeys. But the Gospels end shortly after the resurrection, and so they don't, they don't really have all that much to teach us about what it means to be the church. The Apostle Paul, as the greatest evangelist in the history of the Christian movement, is all about the church. Uh, this is a picture of a mosaic in Beria in Greece, uh, where a group of us from the church went back in April. <clears throat> That's Paul underneath Christ, of course. Now, Paul's letters were written to church com- uh, communities in various cities and various regions. Some of those churches uh, he had founded himself, some he had not. And his letters both interpret Christian theology for practical living and teach new believers what it means to follow Jesus and be the church. So it's Paul um, who makes sense how, of how Christianity fits as the continuation of the salvation history of God that began with the call of Abraham. And it's, it's Paul who interprets for us the relationship between the law of Moses and the grace that we're offered in Christ. It's Paul who articulates the core kind of fundamental theology of Christianity, which is that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. And it's it's Paul who comes up with the metaphor of the church as the body of Christ. The bottom line is that it is uh, truly impossible to overstate the importance of the Apostle Paul, not just as it relates to our understanding of Christian theology, but especially for our purposes today, as it relates to the whole concept of what it means to be the church. The letter to the Romans is actually the last letter that Paul wrote, uh, not all that long before his death, which means that it reflects the wisdom of a very experienced preacher and evangelist who had spent decades by that point preaching the gospel and uh, introducing more people to Christ than we can possibly know. And what Paul does in Romans, as um, the closest he comes to, to systematic theology, is that he spends the first 
11 chapters of Romans unpacking important matters of theology. And we're talking about uh, theology that would forever shape how we as Christians understand um, and articulate our relationship with God. And then, beginning with the verses that we read at the beginning of chapter 12, he begins um, the section talking about, so what? Uh, Or maybe better said, um, so then. As in, uh, here's what we believe, 11 chapters, uh, so then here is how we ought to live. And at the very beginning of this so then section of one of the most important documents in the history of Christianity, Paul gives us two essential expectations. The first is that we are to offer our whole lives as a sacrifice to God. As part of the church, we're, we're expected to be all in. And second, we are not to be conformed to the expectations and the, the whims and the demands of the world, but we should be uh, transformed by the renewing of our minds. And this is an ongoing thing by the power of the Holy Spirit, which is to say our thinking our priorities, our hearts, our souls are all to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit working within us. And when we allow ourselves uh, to be constantly renewed, especially in the context of a community of faith, that's when we're able to offer all of ourselves to God. And for the Apostle Paul, that's what it means to be the church. Wrestling with uh, Theseus's paradox has, over the centuries, expanded to include other subjects. For example, uh, science tells us that the, the human body is constantly renewing itself. Uh, it's truly a miracle of God's creation. In fact, our bodies uh, literally replace billions, with a B, of cells every single day. Now, at the 945 service, I get to this section of the sermon, and I look down, and Chris Korst's daughter, Chris and Claire's daughter, uh, Genevieve, was at that service. Genevieve is training to be a neurosurgeon. And I get into this section about what the body replaces and doesn't, and immediately thought, uh-oh, <laughs> what, if I, what if any of this is wrong? And she's married to a very smart second doctor. Uh, so she confirmed with me after the 945 service, everything I'm about to tell you is, in fact, correct doctor certified. Okay. So <laughs> billions of cells are replaced every day, but, but parts of us stay with us for life. So our brain cells don't regenerate. Our tooth enamel <laughs> does not regenerate. Our, the lenses of our eyes do not regenerate. But the vast majority of what physically comprises our bodies is constantly being renewed. So the cells that line our stomachs, for example, regenerate every couple of days. Um, Our skin cells are uh, replaced every two to three weeks. Our red blood cells last about four months. And I regret to inform you that our fat cells can live an average of 10 years. (laughs) Some much longer than that, as it turns out. But the bottom line is that, um, like the ship of Theseus, the vast majority of what physically makes up our bodies is constantly being renewed. Uh, So that pictures of us decades apart will reveal an almost entirely different person. For example, (laughs) look at that cutie on the left. Okay, so that is me on the left. 
Uh, that was me roughly 50 years ago. And um, some of y'all will appreciate this. I was obsessed with a show called The Rifleman. Loved that show. It was in reruns by the time uh, I was watching it in the early 70s. Um, but the, the title character played by Chuck Connors was my hero. And so I'm posing like him in this picture. I, it's a toy pistol I've got on my hip, but I also had a toy version of his um, customized rapid fire Winchester rifle. And Chuck Connors was a wizard with that thing in the show. Check it out. You can, you can see it in rerun still. The picture on the right was taken this past April on our church trip to Greece. Now that's the Apostle Paul in Beria, that city where the mosaic was, same site actually. Um, you may be, it may be a little hard to see, but that grumpy face that I'm making is what Paul's doing in the statue. I normally don't walk around grumpy like that. But the Apostle Paul is much more my hero these days, uh, carrying a, a Bible instead of a, a Winchester. <laughs> so here's the question of Theseus's paradox. <clears throat> Are those two pictures of the same person? Now, obviously, yes, in some ways. You have to take my word for it. That is, in fact, me on the left. My mother can attest to it. But obviously, in some ways, no. <laughs> So what makes them the same person? What makes them different? These are questions of philosophy and theology, and philosophers and theologians would answer those questions differently. I'll, I'll leave the philosophy to the philosophers, but I'll come back to the theology in a moment. All right, let's finish our text. It's Romans chapter 12, verses 3 to 8. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in difficulty, or in diligence rather, the compassionate in cheerfulness. So in a couple of weeks, um, the first two Sundays of October, we're going to do a, a little mini-series about community, and we're actually going to reread that, those verses I just read. So I'm going to wait till then to get into the details of that text. But for now, um, I want to talk about the big picture, which is that that Paul, who is uh, the figure in the New Testament who teaches us what it means to be the church, thinks of um, church in a, in a community context, which is to say uh, Paul's emphasis is not about individual spirituality. That's not, that's not what it is for him. It's about the connected community of faith. Every one of us is uh, a unique part of the body of Christ. Every one of us has unique gifts to share with the body. And every one of us needs all the others of us in order to truly be the body of Christ. This is not a, an individual thing, Christianity. We discern God's will together. We transform the world together. We are renewed in faith and purpose together. And it was like that uh, in the first century. That's what Paul is describing and it's been this way for the past half century here at Christ United Methodist Church. 
Now, you know that the overall theme for this anniversary sermon series comes from a, a verse in the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever, which means that the church as the body of Christ in the world is the church yesterday and today and forever. The church is renewed with each new generation, for sure, and then within each generation, for sure. And some of the details of how the church looks and how the church worships and how the church engages with the world, some of that entirely changes uh, from generation to generation, but it certainly does change and evolve. But even having said all that, because our identity is in Christ, our core identity as a church does not change. Our faith is in him. Our power is in him. Our hope and peace and eternity are in him, no matter what else uh, may change. So that picture of me in front of Paul in Greece um, was on a trip from back in April, like I said, and that was a a tour um, following in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul. And our very first stop on that trip was a church in St. Demetrios in Thessaloniki, which uh, is one of the oldest cathedrals in Europe. And the day that we went was the the day after Orthodox Easter. Um, Now, does the church change? Well, yeah, so much so that not even every Christian celebrates Easter on the same day. Um, The church was still decorated for Easter for the holiest day. And this is like a devotional area within the church. That's an icon of the resurrection in the center. And then there's flowers all around. And it's a beautiful reflection of our Easter theology. It's It's a beautiful way to connect with the divine, but it's also very different than how we decorate for Easter. And then this is a picture of the faithful worshiping in their sanctuary the day after Easter. So I just want to let that sink in. Um, the Monday morning after their biggest day, the church is closed here. <laughs> We're all like taking a nap in the church staff. They're, they're worshiping still. And this, uh, this church was, was built, uh, well, the congregation of San Demetrius was, was originally built in the fourth century AD, but then after fire destroyed it, It was eventually rebuilt as the structure that we see today. Um, In 634 AD, it was completed. But but despite having rebuilt the structure, they still claim the early fourth century, of course, as uh, as their founding, right? Different different building, same same church. And if you know the Orthodox tradition, you know that what's happening in this picture, uh, this congregation at St. Demetrius worships in very much the same way today as they have for all of their history. Um, There are some Christian traditions like the Orthodox, Greek Greek Orthodox tradition that change very little with the exception of the people in the pews. Now in the case of Christ United Methodist Church, almost everything about us has changed since we were chartered in September 1973 with the exception of the founding members who were part of this community of faith 50 years ago today. And that's because the church is renewed with each generation. And that's an important and uh, inevitable reality. And the Holy Spirit is with us in the midst of it. In some ways, now these changes are significant where the church is located. Um, How many people call it their spiritual home? 
how they get to the church, clearly. Look at those cars from 1973. Those are awesome. How the church worships in some ways. What we do here is, looks different than what happened in the sanctuary on Glencliff uh, back in the day. How the church engages the world. And, I, you know, change is one of the hardest things that we wrestle with. All of us. Sometimes in the church especially. But the reality is the church changes all the time. Now, the question of Theseus' paradox is whether or not these are pictures of the same church. Well, obviously, yes. In some ways, I mean, we're, we're celebrating our 50th anniversary, after all. But obviously, no, in other important ways. Because the, the church uh, has been renewed again and again for the past 50 years and will continue to be renewed again and again in the coming 50 and beyond, all by the power of the Holy Spirit. But there is absolutely one thing that will never change, ever. And that is our identity as part of the body of Christ who is the same, yesterday and today and forever. So thanks be to God for how we've grown over the past 50 years. Thanks be to God for who we are today and for the blessing of calling this place home. And thanks be to God that we get to be part of what lies ahead. Amen.